Well, good morning, White Plains family. It's good to see you. It's good to worship with you. Thank you for being here. Welcome to White Plains. My name is Gary, and if, if you're new here or this is your first time in a while to be here, I want to say welcome to you. Thank you for being our guest. I hope you find this place to be warm and welcoming. And speaking of warm, is anyone still without power? We are. Are we the only ones? Surely not. Okay, good. Oh, yeah, my neighbors. <laughs> yeah, it's our street. Um, it, is, uh, it is rough to be without power, I'm telling you. I came here at 5 o'clock this morning just to feel what hot water felt like. I had forgotten, and uh, it, it felt good. Um, but I trust that through this past weekend that God has, has protected you in ways you don't even understand. I, I trust that even if there's damage to your property, even if the recovery ahead is going to be difficult, I trust that God has protected you uh, in ways that you may not ever really understand until you see him face to face. And he shows you and tells you that he was with you during the storm. Um, speaking of difficult times and, and things like this weekend, it, it might be difficult for you to be here this morning. It might have taken more effort than normal to be here because the hot water's not working, because you threw all the food away in the fridge, and, and it's just a challenge to even get out of the house. And for those of y'all who, are, who stayed at home, because it's difficult, we understand uh, and look forward to seeing you next week uh, here in person. But, but if you do find yourself wondering, if your mind's wondering, thinking back of your home and property and the trees that have, may have fallen or the projects that are now in front of you because of all that, uh, I get it. There's, 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 there's probably going to be hard days ahead for many of us, and, and you might find yourself wondering, your mind wondering. And I would just say, if you find yourself in your mind wondering this morning um, from the worship or from God's Word, rest this morning in God's sovereignty. No matter what's in front of you, know that God knew what was going to happen last week. God knows today what's ahead of you for next week. And, uh, and we don't, but, but God does. And so let's rest in his sovereignty, his knowledge, but also his power and uh, his, his ability to protect us. So just rest. Once you find your mind wandering about those projects at home, rest in his sovereignty. Kids, it's always good to see you this morning. I had the joy of teaching several of y'all in Sunday school this morning. It's always fun teaching kindergarten through third graders. If you haven't done that, I recommend it. It's, it's a blast. We had a great conversation this morning about the birth of Jesus, which seems odd talking about that in March, but it's leading us up to Easter, and it's always good to remember uh, the birth of Jesus for sure. But uh, kids, I want to I encourage you to help out around the house a little bit more maybe this week. Um, I know Ruby was out in the yard with me yesterday picking up limbs, and, and she was a, a huge encouragement and help to me. And sometimes grown-ups can get a little grumpy when the power goes out or when there's drama uh, because of weather and stuff. And so it's helpful when, uh, to, to help your, your grumpy parents maybe when you're helpful to them picking up those things. Ruby also helped me throw away some food last night, and that was hard. Uh, Ruby was, she was having trauma, I think, throwing away, uh, what was it the worst that you threw away? Do you remember? All of it's bad, but um, she's attached to a lot of, I am too, um, 
but uh, but I, kids, I would just encourage you to to help out uh, around the house, um, even if mom and dad are grumpy. I'm sure I've been more grumpy uh, this past weekend than normal, just because of the stress that that these storms can can cause. But I do want to um, share with you uh, some fun news about Saturday, kids. Saturday, the April the eighth. This is the Saturday before Easter. Last week I told you we we're going to do something that you've never done before. And I'm sure you've never done what we're going to do on Saturday, April 8th. Uh, it's going to be fun. You're going to remember this. It's going to be different. I want to give you a hint. Will you show the photo, um, the hint? All right. So kids, what is, this, what is in this photo? What context clues do you see in this photo that you've, have you ever, that you've never done here? Yeah, are we doing laundry? Have you ever done laundry, kids? If you've never done laundry, then maybe that's the... Um, but do you think doing laundry would be a fun way to celebrate Easter? No. <laughs> the high schoolers say no. Uh, well, come back next week. I'm going to give you the full details on what we're going to be doing on that Saturday before Easter. I promise it's going to be so much fun. You're going to want to invite your friends, your cousins your neighbors, whoever else uh, that you know that is young like you. Uh, we'll have all the details next week. So, so kids, thanks for being here with us. You're dismissed to go over to Kids Church. Kids Church is for kids in kindergarten through uh, sixth grade. And after, churches, after our church service is over, they'll be dismissed to the lobby. As they leave, adults, you could keep looking at that picture. Well, it's gone now, but you could be thinking about what we're going to be doing um, you might have friends with uh, kids or neighbors with kids. I promise they've never done what we're going to do. I don't know that anybody's ever done what we're going to do. It, it could be really great or it could be really bad. I'm not sure, but we'll find out. I'll tell you more details next week. Uh, it'll be, um, the picture will make a lot more sense next week also. Uh, but uh, last week we started uh, in the series of Jonah. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse 7 in just a few minutes. But I hope that you've spent time in this book, this short book of Jonah this week. I, I asked you to, to read through this book each week uh, while we're in this series, and it just takes a few minutes. Uh, and as you read through it over and over again over the next few weeks, uh, you're going to see there's a message here in Jonah for you. I'm sure of it. There's a message in Jonah for us all and the story of Jonah is about a man who's running from God and about a patient, loving, and merciful God chasing him. The story so far, in case uh, you weren't here last week or, or just don't remember, God calls Jonah to preach a message of warning and of hope to the people of Nineveh. Now this is somewhat out of the ordinary because the Ninevites were not Hebrew. They were Gentiles. And they were part of the Assyrian Empire. These guys have a really bad reputation. There's prophecies about the Assyrians uh, overtaking the people of Israel and, and holding them captive. And so Jonah is sent by God to the enemy, which might seem surprising that Jonah is sent by God to the enemy, but I want you to understand that God has always been pursuing all people groups. 
He's always been about pursuing all types of people. Now, Jonah thinks God is wrong. It's very clear in the first few verses of Jonah. He thinks he's wrong, and so he goes the other way. God is sovereign. God is in control. He causes a terrible storm to form on the sea as Jonah tries to hide from God. And, and by the way, I don't want to blame anybody for the storm that we had this past weekend, but if you're running from God and this is the storm, this is what we get, like, repent and turn around and follow God and, and wake up because I, I miss hot water. But, but, but Jonah's asleep. Jonah's asleep at the bottom of the boat, and the sailors are terrified and they're panicked. The sailors throw their cargo and they pray to pagan gods, all while Jonah is asleep with apathy. The captain of the boat goes down and wakes up Jonah and, and encourages him. Uh, as we looked at the, the last uh, verse, in, uh, verse 6 last week, the captain pleads with Jonah to cry out to his God because maybe, just maybe, Jonah's God can save them. So that's the story so far. If God is giving us an object lesson with the storm this weekend, I pray that we will cry out to God, that we will cry out to him turn around and follow him. So let's continue with the story of Jonah, and and we'll begin in verse 7 here of chapter 1. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do with you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And in verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this story, this true story about a man who's running from you, but you lovingly are chasing after him, getting his attention because you love other people. You desire for people to know you. 
even enemies, to know you. Thank you for that great love that you have for them. It's the same great love you have for us. Help us to to look into your word and to understand this message in Jonah this morning. You are so good to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning I want us to compare how the sailors respond to this storm versus how Jonah responds to the storm. Now remember, these are pagan sailors. They don't follow the God of Israel, but they're not irreligious. In fact, they might be very religious. They just choose to follow gods that aren't the God of the Hebrews. Their first response to the storm was to pray after they threw out their cargo. They prayed. What was your first response to the storm this weekend? Was it prayer? When you felt the winds coming, did you, were you immediately driven to prayer? I remember Friday setting about three or four cars behind a traffic light on my way to pick up uh, my daughters from school. And I saw this traffic light just dancing. Traffic lights don't dance, uh, but this one was. And I remember just watching it dance and wondering, if that thing falls off, do I have enough time to duck? Now, I know they don't fall off generally, and if they do, I'm, I'm a goner, because um, those things are bigger than they look. But I remember watching that, thinking that, and all of a sudden I see this white thing fly next to me. And it was like, I don't know, a, an auction sign or something that had broken loose and was dancing itself throughout the way. And, and it was headed right for me, and, and it wouldn't have done any damage, but, but I didn't know all that in the moment, and, and somehow it slipped through all the cars, and for all I know, it was still dancing somewhere um, around. But it was, it was then that I realized I'm in a storm, and I don't have any power. I am powerless in this storm. I am hopelessly open to whatever this storm wants to give me. And so I, I did. I prayed. I prayed for protection for me, for my daughters, for my wife who was on the road also. Um, and I was driven to prayer. Um, I wonder, was your first response prayer? Even though there was, this was a windstorm, and I think, it, I think it's especially appropriate because it was a windstorm. Like, like, you didn't see the gusts coming at you. Like, they just came. Now, you can see the effects of the wind, but you can't really see the wind. And, and it was, as I've had time to think about it over the past couple of days with that power and hot water, um, like, there's many of our storms in life are that way. We don't know what's coming next, and we don't even see it coming, but we... Maybe we don't even realize it until it's too late, but, but there's, there's storms around us. And, and as, as your pastor, um, I sense there's storms around us, uh, individually, as a church, in a community. Like, uh, there's lots of good things, absolutely. But I also realize that there's also storms in many of our lives. And I wonder if we're, we're driven to prayer as we experience those. And, and these pagan sailors give us a really good example, and I hope... That, that you recognize that even in chaos and destruction, that God is in control, even here, even now. Because that's some of the truth that we find here in Jonah, that in the chaos and destruction of storms, God is in control. He's protecting you in ways that you may not even be aware of. 
In verse 7, the sailors continue to appeal to the spiritual world by casting lots. I don't know if you guys cast a bunch of lots around here in Allen County, but let me give you a little background on this practice of casting lots. Now, when you hear this term, do you think it being like a demonic thing or being like a, at least a pagan thing? Like, Christians don't do this. It's not appropriate for Christians to, to cast lots. Certainly, it was a pagan practice, um, but I, I want to uh, let you know that the people of Israel did this too. They casted lots. In Leviticus... Uh, chapter 16, verses 8 through 10. Just listen to this. Um, and Aaron shall, this is God speaking, and Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So this is God speaking to Moses, telling Aaron to cast lots. So if God is commanding Aaron to do this, it can't be totally demonic or totally pagan, can it? There's several other passages in the Old Testament where uh, casting lots was acceptable. But it's not just the Old Testament. There's places in the New Testament where casting lots was appropriate. The disciples even casted lots in Acts 1, 23-26 as they tried to find the replacement for Judas. Listen to this in Acts 1. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go in his own place. And they cast lots for them, and it fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So basically you have the disciples with a quarter, and they flip it. Heads, it's Matthias. Tails, it's Justice. And it lands on Matthias. So the people of Israel practiced casting lots, and even the disciples practiced this. Do you think Christians should practice casting lots to discern God's will? When we're faced with tough decisions, should we, as followers of Christ, flip a coin and trust God with the results? What do you think? Yes? No? I'll go ahead and tell you. Uh, no. Christians should not do this. They should not determine God's will by casting lots anymore. Why? The disciples did it. God told Moses and Aaron to do it, so why would I tell you not to do it? The last time that lots were cast in the New Testament was right here in Acts chapter 1, verse 26. What happens in Acts chapter 2? We spent quite a bit of time last year going through Acts, and I realize Acts chapter 2 was a long time ago. But what happened in Acts 2 is the reason we shouldn't flip a coin or cast lots to determine God's will. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. This is why we don't, as Christians, cast lots or flip a coin or trust God through means like that. The Holy Spirit 
changes how we discern God's will because God is now living inside Christians. We have the Holy Spirit. That's far better than a quarter being flipped. Christians trust the Holy Spirit to lead them. Christians use God's Word to inform them as they follow the Holy Spirit's leading. We don't need to cast lots anymore. We have direct access to God. We have something better. But let's get back to these sailors. So they approached Jonah because the lot fell on him. And in your notes, you can write down this, the the sailors seek answers from Jonah. The sailors seek answers from Jonah. Tim Keller says says this about the results of the cast of Lot. The sailors conclude that the storm was a punishment for sin, and they cast lots to determine whose wrongdoing it might be. When the Lot indicates Jonah, they begin to pepper him with questions. They know that the problem lies with Jonah, and they want answers. I mean, wouldn't you? How do you think you would respond when you find out that the storm that you're in that is going to destroy you and maybe uh, sink everything you own and your life very, uh, could be gone, you find out that the guy who's causing it is asleep at the bottom of the boat. You'd want answers. So they grill Jonah. They ask him questions about his, about his identity. They say, Jonah, this destruction is your fault. Why? What do you do for a living? What is your job? Where are you from? What country do you hail from? What people are you? Basically, they want to know why this is happening and what he did, who he was. Now, these are sailors. And sailors have a way of speaking, don't they? Sailors don't use the friendliest language sometimes, and I'm sure it wasn't as clean as this language here in Scripture. These guys are sailors. They're panicked. They're hopeless. They're, they're, They're fear. They probably used some rough language as they questioned Jonah. But Jonah answers in verse 9, and he says this to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I want you to see something here that should shake you. It should cause you concern. Last week I ended by calling us to wake up, like the captain saying, arise to Jonah, to wake him up and have him call out to God. And the way that Jonah answers here, look at that. Do you see anything that might be alarming? Jonah says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. In your notes, Jonah claims to worship the very God he's rebelling against. Jonah claims to worship the very God he's rebelling against. That should shake you. Jonah says that he fears the Lord. This is the same Lord that he's running from, that he's disobeying, that he's rebelling against. What kind of worship does Jonah do? How is, how is that worship? If he's running the opposite way from where God is calling him, how is that worship? This is alarming because many Christians today do this same thing. They say they worship the God that they're rebelling against. And what's even worse is that the world calls it out. They call it out because they see it. They notice it. 
the world will call out hypocritical people who claim to be following and worshiping God when their life and actions show rebellion. When the world discovers Christian hypocrisy, it often leads them to hate God more. Definitely hate the church more, but, but ultimately hate God more. It's a bit different here with these sailors. In your notes, Jonah's rebellion creates more fear for the sailors. Now, Jonah was with them. They were all in the same boat. And Jonah's hypocrisy, his rebellion, and his apathy had very real consequences for these sailors. When all of this came to light, their fear grew. They realize the gravity of their situation, and they call, out the, they call out Jonah's hypocrisy, and they say, what is this you have done? It sounds like a question. Your Bible, your translation might have a question mark after that sentence. Mine has an exclamation mark. What is this you have done? I don't think it's a question. It could be a question. I think it's more of a judgment based out of fear and despair. What is this you have done indicates a groaning from the sailors, their despair at Jonah's hypocrisy. Everything's becoming clearer for these sailors, but it drives them further into their hopelessness. They ask Jonah, what should they do? Now, before we get there, let's stop and remember what we know about Jonah so far. Jonah is commanded to go and tell. He decides that God is wrong, and he goes the other way and remains silent. He would rather the Ninevites die and go to hell than to tell them the message of warning and hope that God has given to him. The storm is affecting the boat that he's escaping on, and he remains asleep. So when the sailors ask them what he should do, Jonah could have said many things. He could have done many things. Jonah could have confessed his sin and repented. That's an option. Jonah could have prayed for God to protect the sailors and the ship. That's another option. What did Jonah do? Jonah had options. He said, throw me overboard. Don't think this is a noble statement. Don't think that Jonah's being self-sacrificing here. Jonah's not being a good guy. He hasn't been a good guy. This isn't his turning point. Jonah says, throw me overboard. Jonah had options. He could have responded better. But he says, throw me overboard. I wonder, how much does Jonah hate these Ninevites? How much does he think God is wrong here to say, just throw me overboard? In your notes, Jonah would rather die than to repent. Jonah would rather die than to repent. He would rather die than to admit that God was right and to change his direction. Jonah thinks it's better to die than to deliver the message of warning and hope to his enemy. What about you? Would you rather die than to deliver a message of warning and hope to an enemy. 
Are you running from God? Would you rather die than to repent and turn back to God? Jonah doesn't have much regard for human life. He just assumes the Ninevites die. Jonah seems to be okay with the sailors dying on the boat. That is, until they force the issue and ask him what they should do, then he thinks it's better that he dies. Now, if the guy who is the problem says, throw me overboard, what would you do? Seems like an easy fix. Throw him overboard and be done with it. But these sailors, these pagans, they valued life more than Jonah valued life. They tried harder. They rowed hard. They tried to move the boat to dry land. They valued Jonah's life more than Jonah valued his own life. Even though they were pagan, and that just means they weren't followers of the Hebrew God, um, even though they weren't followers of the Hebrew God, they knew that it was wrong to take life. There are things that are right. There are things that are wrong. That is the conversation of morals and ethics. Morals are widely shared beliefs that a community says and holds on what's acceptable, what's normal. Ethics is how we apply that and make decisions based off that. Even in today's world, where opinions masquerade as facts and truth, there are foundational things that we can all agree on. One of those things is it's wrong to kill innocent people. Now, Jonah might be guilty here, but still, it's wrong to kill people, in this case, if you're not the government. So don't do it. Jonah was living like it's okay, though. Jonah was, in effect, killing the Ninevites. Jonah was okay with killing the sailors. He was okay with taking his own life. But the sailors knew that it was wrong. And they were at the end of their rope. When the sailors had no other options, they realized that Jonah's sins were about to destroy the boats and their lives. They were desperate. So before they threw Jonah overboard, they cried out to Jonah's God for protection, for forgiveness. Now I want you to understand Jonah has remained silent this whole first chapter toward God. Jonah hasn't spoken a word to God in this whole first chapter. The sailors are the first ones to cry out to Jonah's God. It's remarkable. In Jonah's running and rebellion, the sailors convert to the God of Israel. In your notes there, the sailors worshiped and committed to Jonah's God. Jonah is considered a successful prophet, but it wasn't because he did anything good. It's because God was good. Jonah converted these sailors in his rebellion and his running. The sailors threw Jonah overboard and the seas calmed. The sailors moved from fear of death to worshiping God of life. Sometimes it takes something scary for us to realize that we aren't in control. It takes us seeing dancing traffic lights 
in front of us to realize that we aren't in control. Sometimes it takes a near-death experience for some to submit their life to God's rule for them to come to Jesus. For others of us, it happens with a lot less drama. And if we took a poll of all of us here in the room, for those of y'all who've come to God and Jesus, uh, about how, we have, how God got your attention, we would get all kinds of answers, I'm certain. For me, God used Vacation Bible School as a second grader. That was the first time I think the gospel was ever shared with me in a way that I could at least understand it. God used that church in Glasgow, Glasgow Baptist Church, and he used VBS to reveal to me at the age of eight that I was broken and that only he could fix me and fix my brokenness. At my second grade level of understanding, that's how I could express it. Later in life, as I've grown in my understanding of salvation, I can, much, uh, I can explain it much better, but... But at second grade, I understood that my life, there was brokenness. I was broken, and only God could fix that brokenness. Think back on how God first got your attention. For many, it might have been many, many years ago. For some, it might have been more recently. But think back. How did God first get your attention? In all of our coming to faith stories, we see that God is chasing us with arms open with the gospel. There's a realization of a warning. In my case, I was broken. There's a promise that God can only only God can fix my brokenness. With you, as you think back on how God got your attention, was there a warning and a promise, a hope? God got the sailors' attentions. Through the storm and ultimately in the calm, the sailors realized that Jonah's God was the true God. As they threw Jonah overboard, everything settled down. They were moved to worship. They committed themselves to God. God proved to them that they were in an impossible situation, that they were going to be shipwrecked, but God could calm the storm, and God proved it to them. The seas calmed. God rescued them. They worshiped God and began to follow God. God is at work in your salvation. No matter how long ago it was, God was at work then. God is continuing at work in your salvation to this day. The thing about God's sovereignty that we started to pick up on last week is that it covers all aspects of our life. God is sovereign over all things, not just the things that we allow him to control. We do have influence in our life. Absolutely. There is free will. We have. We make decisions We base those decisions on wisdom, sometimes foolishness. We have free will, but even our free will is under God's sovereignty. What God wants to accomplish, he will accomplish. Jonah would rather die than to follow God. God has different plans. Who wins? Does Jonah die? I don't know the stats, but I would assume 
that it has to almost be 100% that when someone is thrown overboard in a stormy sea at this time of the world, in this history, that that person doesn't survive. There's no help coming. There's no rescue mission. There's no helicopters that can fly over and look out for Jonah as he's thrown overboard. The sailors didn't call the Coast Guard for help. Jonah was thrown overboard, and almost always that means certain death. Jonah was counting on it. This was his way out. He could finally stop running. But God had different plans, didn't he? The message of Jonah is not about the whale, though. It's about a man running from God. And about a patient, loving, and merciful God running right after him, chasing him. And might I add, a sovereign, powerful, and purposeful God chasing him. Look at me at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God had a message of warning and hope. He wants Jonah to deliver to the Ninevites. And that God will get that message through Jonah despite Jonah. God is sovereign. God saves the sailors. God rescues Jonah from the deep. God was actively at work. God is still actively at work. He is working in your life right now. John Piper tweeted almost 10 years ago. He says this, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. That was true then. It remains true today. It has always been true. God is at work. Are you paying attention? I'll invite the worship team to come back up as we close. And as they come, what do you need to throw overboard? Is there something you need to give to God to allow Him to calm the seas around you? Do you feel like you're drowning in despair? Do you need God to appoint a great fish to swallow you up and rescue you? If you've never expressed faith in Jesus, worship Him and commit your life to Him today. If you've been following Jesus, but you realize that you've been running, running from Him and running from His desire for you, repent. Turn back to God. In both cases, confess to God that you need Him. You're broken, and only God can fix you. Don't leave this place without confessing to God. Don't let this next song finish before you repent and follow after Jesus. Would you stand with us as we pray? God, you are good. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together hearing from you. Get our attention. Wake us up, shake us. Whatever you need to do for us, to us, may we be open and responsive. May we be looking at how you're moving, how you're working in our lives. Thank you for Jesus. He's the one who can rescue us. He's the one 
who turns our life around. Help us to trust him more. For some, help us to trust him for the first time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.